Charlie Reimer Balls in the Air podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Charlie Reimer. On uh, this podcast, we get to talk about whatever it is I want to talk about, because after all, <clears throat> it is my podcast. I'm going to apologize right now at the front of this podcast. I am struggling a little bit with allergies, so please bear with me. My voice isn't quite 100%. My wife really enjoys that, uh, and a few other folks that I work with do as well, but it's a little bit of a struggle for me uh, as we hopefully get towards the end of allergy season. Uh, hopefully I can get through uh, our podcast here today with a nice strong voice. Uh, we're going to go a little bit different direction than we normally do. Uh, in general, we try to uh, talk to some uh, really interesting guests from the world of golf and entertainment. And uh, this week, it just seems like there's so much going on in golf that I thought I might take a little bit of time and uh, give you some of my hot takes of uh, what we just saw this past week in golf. We're going to see this uh, coming week and also beyond. So let's start uh, with, with the ladies. What a great U.S. Women's Open we saw out at Olympic Club. Uh, the uh, champion, Yuka Sasso, 19-year-old uh, Filipino. Uh, what an unbelievable performance. Uh, where has she been? She's won a couple of times on the uh, Japanese uh, Women's Tour. Uh, but at 19 years old, <laughs> what an amazing and bright future uh, this lady, uh, young lady, now has ahead of her. Uh, she immediately took up her LPGA membership right after uh, winning the U.S. Open. Uh, that golf swing, uh, she says that she likes to copy Roy McIlroy. Roy McIlroy took note of that, and I think he enjoyed hearing it. And uh, uh, it, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, a lot of power, and now with the confidence of, of being a U.S. Women's Open champion, what will she do next? It's going to be fun to follow along. Uh, the other star of the week, Mega Gagne, 17-year-old amateur. She was a low amateur. Had a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time with Mega um, a couple of times at, at Augusta National when I was on the crew uh, on the call with the uh, drive, chip, and putt. She seemed to be a fixture there at the drive chip and putt spent a little bit of time with her at the really amazing dinner they have for the participants and their families at the drive chip and putt every year. She's going to be headed to Stanford. If she doesn't decide to turn pro, got a lot of game, enjoys the spotlight. She is going to be a media star as well as being a star for what she can do on the golf course. So I really look forward to watching her as well. Need to address the situation with Lexi Thompson. Lexi Thompson, a major champion, had a five-stroke lead at one point during the final round and difficult to watch her on and around the greens with those touch clubs. I've um, been in this business a long time, spent some time with with uh, Lexi, uh, her family. Clearly, she drives the ball beautifully, has tremendous strength, is an unbelievable ball striker, but for quite some time now, that short game has really been holding her back, and I believe it's just really painful to watch. And at some point, it, it, it gets in your head, but I think she's got some mechanical issues as well. And I'd really like to see Lexi get a hold of turning that short game around I, I think there's going to have to be a combination of some mechanical changes with the way she approaches short game. I, I'd love to see her spend a little bit of time with, with my good friend Stan Utley, who's a short game guru. And Stan essentially teaches the opposite of what Lexi is doing right now. Stan teaches having a lot of length in the backstroke and letting the wedges and also the putter crash into the ball. You have a, a longer backstroke, 
that crashes in and, and you don't have that much of a, a through stroke um, on the greens and around the greens. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy. We teach acceleration, accelerate through the ball. But by and large, if you look at the best short game players in the history of the game, they've gone from long to short rather than from short to long. And I believe that's something that, that Lexi really needs to take a look at, along with uh, maybe getting a little bit different take on the psychology as well. Because if you're such a good ball striker and you give yourself so many opportunities to score and you just don't take advantage of it and you put yourself in great position to win major championships and you just don't finish, at some point those losses start to stack up and, and really take a toll. And Lexi certainly has time, but I – Sure would like to see her turn it around. And then finally, what a great setup at the U.S. Women's Open Olympic Club, uh, an amazing place. And if you look at the history there at Olympic Club, it's uh, um, sort of a graveyard, so to speak, for 54-hole leaders going back to uh, uh, Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, Payne Stewart, Jim Furyk, and now Lexi Thompson. Strange things happen at Olympic Club, no doubt about that. And uh, I'm sure the next time we get to Olympic Club uh, and there's some major championship golf, more coming its way, including a PGA championship, <laughs> there's going to be uh, a, a continuation of that. that. One of the things that is difficult to pick up on the TV, the fairways are cantilevered. In other words, a, a hole that might be a dog leg to the left has slope in it that's running from left to right. So it makes it really difficult to keep the ball in the fairways. The USGA did a great job with the setup. You look at the dispersion of the scores. No one could argue that it wasn't possible to play well, but it was very difficult. And it um, clearly rewarded great ball striking, thoughtful play. But uh, back to those cantilevered fairways, the only thing that was close to controversial about the week and ended up not being an issue, those cantilevered fairways – when the ball starts rolling out left to right on a hole that's going right to left, the beginning of the week, the USGA did not have a first cut rough. They decided very late. In fact, um, I believe they made some of the cuts on Thursday morning prior to the first uh, first round putting in that first cut of rough, which has really made it, I think, a little bit more of a fair test. And the results certainly indicated that as well. Now, if you uh, look at what happened at the uh, PGA Tour, Jack Nicklaus's Memorial Tournament, <clears throat> of course, every year we seem to deal with rain at the Memorial. It's just one of those things that's going to happen. But all the discussion is on Saturday afternoon, the situation with John Rahm. John Rahm uh, had a six-stroke lead, was notified by the PGA Tour as he walked off the 18th green that he had tested positive for covid he had uh, been in uh, close contact protocols throughout the course of the week. He'd actually got his first of two uh, vaccinations early in the week as well. And clearly he was very devastated. And John Rahm obviously looked like uh, it was going to be a romp for him on Sunday. He still would have had to have gotten out and played. And uh, I know there's been a lot of reaction to that John Rahm situation because, quite honestly, it's something that we've never seen. My take on it is this. John Rahm clearly knew what the rules were. The PGA Tour was not making these rules up on the fly, as all of the, uh, both um, professional and amateur, along with collegiate um, sports, uh, as we've gone through this global pandemic, have, have had to come up with all of these rules on the fly. They had worked uh, up until this point, and quite honestly, they worked in John Rahm's situation. He chose not to 
become or get vaccination uh, earlier and that exposed him to uh, the situation that we had on Sunday. I'm not telling anyone to get vaccinated, but when you're a professional athlete and you make a decision like he made to not get vaccinated, then this is the chance that you run. And, and um, uh, John uh, clearly paid a steep price financially for, for not making that decision. Um, Again, I'm not telling anyone to get vaccinated. I will tell you this. I um, suffered from COVID-19 and uh, was touch and go for a little bit. I know the seriousness of the disease. And the very first day in my home state of South Carolina that I was eligible to receive vaccination, I was the first in line to get it. That's uh, my feelings on the matter. But also I have quite a few friends who... Um, have really dug into the research and they've made the decision not to get vaccinated. That's their call. But everyone has to educate themselves and make the best decision they can for themselves. And I can tell you, not only professional athletes, but PGA Tour players as well, because of the drug testing protocols that they go through, they spend quite a bit of time, energy, and resources monitoring everything that goes into their body. And quite a few of them, I'm hearing about 50%, made the decision not to get vaccinated. Although I will guess that Monday after Memorial, there was quite a few more that were uh, lined up to get vaccinated. So tough uh, situation for John Rahm. Be interesting to see if he can uh, tee it up in the U.S. Open coming up next week at, at Torrey Pines, a golf course that he's had tremendous success on. I do want to finish with a little talk on Patrick Cantley because uh, Patrick Cantley is, uh, ultimately ended up getting the win in the, in the playoff over uh, Morikawa. Patrick Cantley is a player that I've really had my eye on. He's got the five wins now on the PGA Tour. This was his second win at Memorial, and I've watched him develop from being a, an amazing amateur. He had a tremendous college career at UCLA. I got to know him through John Cook, uh, who has a great friendship with Patrick's teacher, uh, Jamie Mulligan, um, out, out on the West Coast, just south of L.A., down in Long Beach, and, and uh, Virginia is a club there where, where Jamie Mulligan teaches. And Patrick Cantley, his, his road to where he is now was not smooth. <clears throat> um, he actually dealt with a situation where he uh, lost his best friend in a, in a tragic car wreck. Uh, best friend was uh, caddying for him and uh, got hit um, in... in uh, uh, in, in that Southern California area by an automobile and, and um, died before he could get to the hospital. And you can imagine that would take quite a toll on a young man. And then also Patrick dealt with somewhat of a mysterious back injury. And at one point, it looked like maybe he wouldn't even be able to play golf again. And and uh, he had to take some time away from the game, rethink a few things. And he's... Um, a player that just has a look to him. If you look at his skill set, if you look at what he's accomplished to this point in his professional career, the amateur background, he's a player that I believe is a fixture in the top 10 in the world and is a player that um, will end up with at least one major championship on his resume before it's all said and done. So he couldn't really uh, have an impact on what happened to John Rahm. He just had to reset and go out and, and play golf and take it take advantage of the opportunity that was presented to him and ultimately came out on top. So great win uh, at the Memorial for Patrick Cantley. This week in the great state of South Carolina, 
We are having our third PGA Tour event that we've hosted uh, this year. It's the Palmetto Championship at Congaree in Ridgeland, South Carolina. I've spent a little bit of time in Ridgeland, South Carolina. If you had told me 25 years ago that at one point there's going to be a PGA Tour event in Ridgeland, South Carolina, I'd have told you, you are absolutely crazy. <laughs> but there it is. It's um, a really neat club, uh, Congaree. Very unusual, only really a couple of members. It has quite a few ambassadors. It's dedicated to philanthropy and and um, continuing to look at ways to improve our society using the great game of golf. And by all accounts, that's exactly what it is doing. I can't wait to see the golf course. I've been invited a couple of times. I just hadn't had a chance to get down there and play it. I spent some time uh, on occasion uh, with Tom Fazio. And he's told me he's really, really proud of that golf course. Uh, obviously, I've seen the still photos, and, and uh, it, it is a beautiful property. This event is filling in for the RBC Canadian Open, which for the second consecutive year is not uh, being able to be played because of the pandemic situation in Canada. So I certainly hope that the pandemic in Canada gets under control really soon. And hopefully we'll be back with the Canadian Open next year. And also, hopefully, we'll find a spot for the Palmetto Championship in Ridgeland, South Carolina. Also, in the state of South Carolina, the Corn Ferry Tour, the BMW, the great celebrity program, that's this week as well. So, a lot great things going on in golf here in South Carolina this week. And uh, we start looking to Torrey Pines for next week. Torrey Pines um, has been retooled <clears throat> yet again by Reese Jones. Uh, Reese is a great friend. I often get a chance to spend time with him, actually, and and surprisingly, um, he's one of those kind of friends that we don't talk a whole lot about golf. And, and it's been a great pleasure to get to know him. And uh, I obviously have a tremendous respect for, for Reese as an individual. The way he conducts himself, he is a true gentleman. And then uh, the resume that he has uh, is is uh, absolutely amazing, both his original designs and, and the, the rework um, that he's done to get uh, – uh, golf courses ready to go for major championships, both men and women. And I know Torrey Pines is something that he is really proud of. And Torrey, it's always interesting to me to see how it's going to play. You always think of the of the long hitters playing well there, and that's definitely been the case. But every now and then you have a Brant Snedeker, for example, the slide in. Brant doesn't hit the ball that far, but he's a champion there at Torrey Pines. I've got a sneaking suspicion without having seen the grounds. They were going to have a lot of high rough at Torrey Pines, and the um, the long hitters will have an advantage if they can hit it in the fairway. Still got to hit it in the fairway, and then trying to figure out those seaside Poana greens is always a challenge. But it, it's a great venue, and I look forward to seeing uh, how the golf course plays. Also, look forward to seeing if John Rom could actually tee it up, because when you start looking at the PGA Tour protocols for COVID, he's isolated. The testing protocols for the players coming to the U.S. Open, I'm not real sure how all of that is going to intersect. I, I hope that John Rahm can tee it up at, at the U.S. Open. I think it would be a real tragedy if he couldn't, but also need to understand that as much as we want this pandemic to be over, it's not over for everyone and every place. The fans actually will have to be vaccinated to attend the U.S. Open. and. Um, Knowing that only about half the players through this past week were not vaccinated, I think that makes for an interesting discussion on uh, what's fair and what's not fair. But um, one way or another, we'll get a U.S. Open champion next week. And one way or another, we're going to get this pandemic behind us. It's great to see 
folks enjoying all this great golf going on around the world for men and women. It's great to see uh, folks out on golf courses right now. We're setting records for participation and equipment sales. It's a wonderful time to be in golf, and I think uh, golf is going to uh, uh, really do well here over these next uh, few years um, for the wrong reasons. It's, it's essentially a pandemic dividend, but hey, we'll take it any way we can get it, especially when I'm looking out and seeing younger folks in particular being attracted to this game. That's something that really gets me excited. So uh, that's it th- uh, for the uh, Charlie Romer Balls in the Air podcast this week. And uh, I'm based in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you want to get to Myrtle Beach and play some golf, we've got a lot of golf courses down here for you. But I encourage you to get over to playgolfmyrtlebeach.com to book your trip. And don't wait. Do it today because our golf courses, as many as we have, uh, we're nearly 100 here in about a 70-mile area they are getting a lot of action i'd hate for you to come down here wanting to play golf and not be able to get a tee time so do some planning it will pay off and come see us in myrtle beach thanks for listening and uh, make sure to uh, subscribe and like this podcast wherever you get your podcast we'll see you next time on the charlie romer balls in the air podcast